0: welcome to an extra spooky episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the podcast for fans who plan on reusing this year's Rebel Alliance Halloween costumes when they help take people to the polls on Election Day, which, in fact, is on Tuesday. I actually was going to make a joke about dressing up as Orange Lantern Trump instead of Larflees, but I do want to emphasize that in most states in America, there is an election on Tuesday, not tomorrow Halloween, but, you know, the first Tuesday of November. And in order to defeat the lantern of avarice and greed, we actually need to win state government elections. And that means everyone voting in races for state houses on, in, on uh, November 7th. So please do that. That's important. You can do that in costume or out. The choice is yours. Um, speaking of knocking on your neighbor's doors in a great civic tradition, tomorrow is, in fact, Halloween, which is why I have a special guest on the show to talk about this. as a new <laughs> series. Moonlighters, we're joined by Katie Katie Schenkel, who's the writer of the new young adult series Moonlighters. It's about a high-achieving college student, Renee, who is bitten by a werewolf, and things take a turn for the weird. She ends up with the Moonlighters, monster helpers for hire, made up of Meg, who is a were-husky, Sue, who is a were-akita, and Felipe, who is a were-corgi. They have to take supernatural odd jobs, to pay for textbooks, ramen, and rent. Please hire them. It's written by Katie with art by Cal Moray and published by Space Goat Productions. Uh, Moonlighters is an indie comic season. We definitely want you to check out this Halloween season. Hello, Katie.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Did I get your last name's pronunciation correctly?
1: You are real close. I, I usually tell people it rhymes with ankle, and that's. Oh. So, shankle. Got it. Okay. You're, you Thank are really close.
0: <laughs> so close. Um, so this is a comic that I've been really excited to have come out because I've I've been a fan of your critical writing for a long time. Um, Thank any you. Those who might not know, Katie wrote for Comics Alliance and has a really great Stephen Universe podcast with L. Collins, and um, you write for the Mary Sue and you. you uh, wh- and I just have always liked your critical work a great deal. And I'm fan of the story of a. Critics turn pro, as it were, when it comes to uh, <laughs> writing comic fiction. So I uh, would love to get a story of how, of how Moonlighters came to be.
1: Um, it's funny. Uh, this Wednesday, which is when Issue 4 comes out, uh, will mark the exact year since uh, I got an email from uh, J.D. Uh, see, you asked me how to pronounce my name, and I realize I always forget how to pronounce my editor's name. But uh, J.D. Boucher... And I apologize, JD, if I messed that up. Uh, but saying, "Hey, we have this kind of basic concept for this book about werewolves going to college and and doing odd jobs for the monsters in their community," and we like your point of view, and we know that and they knew that I had a that I have another uh, book coming up that had been bought, and they said, "Would you like to pitch for it?" Um, and I was just thinking, like, well that that does sound really interesting. and, yeah, like, give me more information what you were looking for. And they sent me over kind of a little mini dossier of their general ideas and what they definitely wanted um, and in terms of the tone, but also in terms of uh, the representation that they definitely wanted in, which was they wanted it, the cast to be to be uh, characters of color. and they specifically asked for LGBT. QA cast uh with at least one character being an ace person and immediately that was what really got my attention and I went oh oh I immediately wanted I, my interest in this potential project just went up a hundred percent um mm-hmm. so it, it uh from there I took kind of what they had built up um because they had some kind of basic ideas for like ideas for the characters and i and i built off of that and by the time i had uh sent them the pitch i was thinking man i really really want this i really really want to get this project and i think within a few days they came back to me and said yeah we if you're a game we are too we love this so that was kind of my uh and that was back in um i think it was late november by that point i think it, it was about just about a month of um of a process between when I first got the email, when I got it out. And I mean, speaking of elections, that was a really, that was a really stressful time for like all of us. But, uh, so it was nice to have that distraction. And, um, and it was another thing that in the early days of working with JD really spoke to me about the kind of people I'd be working with was, um, I, I had just gotten kind of some of the information about the project Um, the night or like the the week of the election and like the days after I was pretty raw and I just wasn't I wasn't responding to a lot of to a lot of work emails in general just because I couldn't handle it and Mm -hmm. JD had messaged me back saying hey just checking in uh, because you hadn't he hadn't messaged me back and his additional thing was like I realized this week is like the worst because of what happened on Tuesday. So, you know, take your time, take what you need. I get it. And that's when like between that and seeing kind of what their plans were for the book, that made me feel really confident about the people I'd be working with at Space Goat.
0: That's super cool. I love that story. Um. <laughs> that's also just great that they reached out to you because they like knew your you know, your critical work and a perspective.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I, again, I think a lot of that had to do with JD. I, I, I give him so much credit because, again, he's a very thoughtful person and he's very much about pulling new, new voices into comics. It's something that we've talked about privately in terms of me recommending other people for other things and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it was actually, it, not, I don't think this is the only thing, because I think he was following my work, my critical work, too. But he's cited um, my article where I wrote about Jughead coming out as ace in the Jughead comic as being uh, one of the pieces that he's really liked for me. And I think that might be one of the reasons why I was pulled into this project, because uh, as we... As you're going to find out in issue four, which is again coming out on Wednesday, um, we we specifically um, we specifically have uh, Sue, my, the one of the care one of the main characters, uh, talk about being asexual. Um, so yeah, it, it's one of those things where it was, it, it's really nice to have collaborators. Who have seen my critical work and see how it can apply to to my creative work.
0: Mhm. Totally. Well, I I love the story actually of how you got started writing and writing and, and reading and involved in comics in the first place. If you want to share that a little bit too.
1: Yeah, I. You know, I it's funny because uh, I did a signing. We I was a part of the Halloween Comics Fest, which is. It was this past Saturday, but it's like free comic book day, but for Halloween and spooky comics. Uh, and so I did a little signing in Chicago, and there was um, a teenage girl who came up to me and was and was kind of shy, and she said, like, you know, I, I'm, it's so great that you're making comics, and but I haven't been reading them for very long. I've only been reading for a couple of years, and I told her, like, I've only been reading them for about five years so you like I totally get it it's it's fine you know you're doing great Mm -hmm. you're reading them that's good uh so I think I was always a big superhero growing up I mean I loved Batman the animated series I loved the Justice League cartoon the Superman cartoon the X-Men Spider-Man all that but I never felt like comics could be for me because you know when when I was growing up in the 90s. There, all the comic art really screamed not for Katie, um, <laughs> which is sad because then I found out later that that a lot of the cartoons I really liked had uh, at comic book adaptations and continuations of the story. But you never saw the, you know, those never got to mm. me. So I only found out way later that there were there were stories being made with me in mind, and they just never got to me. Um, yeah yeah, which is still, still a problem, but the internet helps. Um, so I, um, so it, it was only really once I started watching, um, like in the last few years, I think it was actually the Young Justice cartoon. I was really getting into that. And I happened to see a lot like a fandom growing on Tumblr for the show and from there, I was, and I was already uh, reviewing TV and movies by that point, but I wasn't, I wasn't even reading comics, let alone reviewing them. Uh, but once I got into the Young Justice fandom, there were a lot of people who were also recommending old series, or they were showing, they were showing uh, screenshots of older comics that that reminded them of the parts of the characters that they liked in the cartoon. So I started getting into comics really through there. And this, and then uh, pretty soon after that was when, um, oh, well, I, I got into a lot of the DC comics, the better of the new 52 DC comics. And from there um, mm-hmm. I started reviewing. And then by the time I was in the middle of reviewing comics, was when the DCU stuff came out, which was stuff I really loved. Uh, yeah. And then, and then uh, yeah, I was writing for uh, Panels.net, which ended up uh, being, it was the Sister Cipher book write, and then it kind of became book write again. Uh, mm-hmm. I, really pre- I really liked the stuff that I wrote for there. And then uh, I started writing for Comics Alliance uh, not too long afterwards. I'd been writing for the Mary Sue for general pop culture stuff as well. And then um yeah, so it it's been a really interesting few years because I went from, you know, not that long ago not reading comics at all to now to now not only writing about them but writing them. So it's been a it's been an interesting uh I don't know, maybe five or six years of my life.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. It's like um you got a little bit into it, and then you were all the way into it.
1: But, isn't it funny how that seems to happen? It's like, <laughs> oh, this it's thing true. I wasn't inter- the, This thing that, like, I felt like I had no claim in. Suddenly, suddenly, I'm knowledgeable in it, which is really, which is always a really interesting part of of getting into like a new a new thing.
0: And what an amazing gateway drug, Young Justice turned out to be for so many people.
1: Absolutely. Um, I've. Uh, it's funny because I've actually I've I've gone to interview uh, Greg Wiseman who who co-created it, and I've told it like I told him before the interview started like just so you know you're kind of the reason why like you're one of the big reasons why I review this was even before my like before any of my books came out this was just when I was reviewing stuff but I was like yeah you're kind of the reason why I got into comics. Like, you're a big part of that. And he was like, oh, wow, okay. I was like, okay, now let's start the interview. Yeah. Well, it's so, like the
0: TV show that, like, the network canceled because too many girls liked it, ended up getting lots of girls to read comics. Who could have guessed? <laughs>
1: right? But, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see. I'm excited but not getting my hopes up too much for what for what the new season will be, only because, like, I don't want to anticipated doing one thing and then it doing a completely different thing because that was very mm-hmm. much what season two already did. So I'm, I'm taking it with kind of similarly to Twin Peaks in terms of, in terms of like this last uh, season of just like letting just letting it happen and I can I can kind of decide how I feel about it but not but not anticipating too much of guessing what will what will happen and just enjoying the ride.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like I didn't put any time into pre-gaming to begin to watch Star Trek. Like, I know what my agenda is from what I wanted from Star Trek, but I knew that me thinking about it before the show came out wasn't going to make a difference, really. I I do think that the fan conversation around Young... But I do think that the fan conversations that we've had in the big lead-up to both Young Justice Season 3 and to the relaunch of Star Trek did contribute to both shows making some level of commitment to having better diverse representation of LGBTQ people, which is obviously something that matters a lot to both of us. Um,
1: Yeah. I think, I know Greg, I know Greg Wiseman has talked a little bit about it and I, I know that some of it is, is the fact that there's, with the networks and everything, it can be tricky. And I'm hoping that with the new, I forget, I forget which, I think it's the DC, I think it's through the DC streaming service, but I'm hoping considering that, that the CW shows for better or for worse have had at least on screen queer representation that hopefully, that hopefully uh, they'll be able to put more concrete representation uh, in Young Justice. So I'm I'm optimistic, but uh, again, we'll have to see. Well, definitely, you know, you Space Goat uh,
0: as a as a publisher that knows that there's an audience that really wants this, and like went out from the start to say that it was something that you wanted your series to 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 feature, like
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: regardless of the specific tone and approach that it, that it was going to have. Um, so like, what are your? I mean, this is something we talk about a lot on the show, but I just think you do such a good job articulating this as well as well. <laughs> the significance, really, of having, um. LGBTQ characters in a comic that can be read by people who are young and it's you know looking at the art style like it's clearly intended to be read by people of a wide range of ages Um, I kind of think that it has some of the same bones as like the good Archie and Veronica stuff Um, you know and the characters are all LGBTQ
1: yeah I am I think that the importance for it is that and we're seeing it obviously a lot this week because of like certain news stories unfortunately but this idea that that lgbtqa people are like that that the very concept is not kid friendly is so damaging for kids that either that they don't find out about it at all until they're much older which obviously can can mean that they're losing out on something that they connect to or where they know about it, but that it's shameful, that it's seen as something Mm -hmm. as something overtly uh, sexual instead of just a part of who you like a a part of who you are as a person outside of, of what you do in the bedroom. Um, And just also, like I said, just getting kids to understand what, what mean? What these different orientations mean, and what they feel like, and just educating kids on what that's like, so that if they, one, so that they, if they feel that way, then they uh, they can better understand their feelings. But also just for kids who don't feel that way, to just have those concepts for better for better um, empathy. You know, yeah. um, it's something that. Um, it's something that I wanted to show in Moonlighters, especially having them, I think coming out stories are really important and I get why so many people go to them, especially when they come from a place of truth for them, you know, when they're pulling from their own life. But I also think that there's an importance to show, to show stories where they're not, where they're already out. And that, Mm -hmm. and, um, but that, but that these things still come up because they're a part of their lives because they think there's too much focus on, well, how do we have this organically come up? And it's not as if, it's not as if there, there are certainly ways, I think I described it in a, in a recent interview, that there are ways to gracefully say exposition in general in dialogue, and that's the thing that you as a writer need to learn, and it's the exact same thing with making with making representation overt on the page when it comes to to characters talking about about who they are, yeah and, yeah,
0: there's a really charming scene in issue three where a character talks about what it was like when he came out, so like and, and a really and a really like very sweet but and not and like reassuring kind of a way um, and it's used to further the plot and you already know he was, you already know he's gay before that scene, but um, it was, it was a yeah, cool touch. How he, yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't think, I think that was the first time we specifically say it, but it's also a character where, where it just comes off, it comes off on the page um, mm-hmm. to the point where like a, a friend of mine who read the book and I said like, Oh yeah, this character is going to talk, specifically about being gay and it's the first time he's actually saying it and and my friend was like well yeah but I mean I read the book I know (laughs) like the character (laughs) is is pretty clear um even if even if we hadn't talked um even if I hadn't talked in other interviews about the character's orientations anyway uh yeah it was important for me for that for that scene um the character relates his coming out because he's talking about his coming out experience and he's talking to someone who isn't in the process of coming out themselves, but is dealing with another massive change in their life. And so I wanted, I thought that it would be an interesting way to go about it where it wasn't necessarily him mentoring another queer person, which is still really good. Like I love, I do care about those stories a lot, but I like the idea of him relating this very scary part of his life that, that ended up being a good thing to this unrelated thing that, that another person's going through that he knew once they got through it, they would be okay. And I thought that that mm-hmm. was a nice way. That was a nice way to, to have him talk about it again, in a way that that felt true to life for me. Um, I really like that scene and I really like, I really like what we really issue three and issue four. I love all the issues. Don't get me wrong, but issue three (laughs) and issue four are my favorite because they're the most. All the fun stuff happens in them, and also they were the two. They were the two issues where characters got to talk actually talk about their about their orientation.
0: Yeah. And how it fits in with their lives, and and uh, yeah, I, that's very true. And you know, the first two issues you you're basically setting up the world. You're, you're doing oh yeah. Building where you establish that like monsters are real. Uh, <sighs> most people who aren't monsters don't see them because they're not paying attention, which I think is an interesting sort of metaphor for heteronormality <sighs> assumptions that you know even when people are surrounded by queerness, they have sort of a blinders to, and make assumptions that um, everyone is going to be a certain way or whatever yes. and I, also, I read that just, as a metaphor i figure you probably also i will to i will take
1: the metaphor um the the main one of the main reasons i did that was also just because i wanted renee who is a new werewolf uh who has recently been not a werewolf and then turned into a werewolf i wanted to make sure they were all going to the same college and so that they so it made sense that even though in this arc And fingers crossed, because we still aren't, we're still not, it's still not 100% confirmed when and if we're getting a second arc, but it's looking positive. I can at least say that much. Um, (laughs) But for at least this arc, it's just, there's so much going on. I haven't gotten to actually show them at school, but I wanted to make sure that I set up that if I wanted them to, I wanted them to, to make sure that they were all going to the same college. And if they're all going to the same college, then it would be really tricky (laughs) to have, to have Renee not figure it out before now, (laughs) unless unless we, unless we had a, uh, a Harry Potter-esque, oh, they just don't notice. It just kind of, (laughs) it just, they just kind of, they don't see, they don't see the magical qualities. Um, So yeah, it was, but yeah, you're absolutely right, though. With issue one and two, so much of it was setting things up, um, and uh, and just trying to get all of the all of the rules set up, and then, of course, getting Renee's story going because that's a that's a big part of the book. Was just was just her start as werewolf.
0: That's cool. No, that's a good way to deal with it. Um... And, and, I, and I liked that metaphor. Um, I mean you know this story is very much in line with like contemporary urban fantasy, but it's also very much like a humor and light tone i mean it's not it's not a horror book at all it's a comedy book that features <laughs> monsters basically it's a comedy and relationships book
1: yeah there's there's a little bit of spookier scarier stuff coming just a little, uh, but largely i I like the idea of of monsters being fun and, and sweet and nice. I, I always liked, I always liked the, the random like Hanna-Barbera cartoons where they were like, what if like this monster was actually really, was like <laughs> a really nice person instead of, you know, instead of mean and that sort of thing. Um, and I think there's something really interesting and it's not just obviously with Moonlighters. I've seen it. I've seen it more often happen but especially with werewolves where uh, female creators are really uh, taking back werewolves and kind of, and putting a spin on them. Uh, And usually Mm -hmm. a lot of it is queer female creators where it's, Mm -hmm. uh, where it's taking these monsters that are so often seen as like super macho or like, because they're hairy, like it's hard for, it's hard for creators to like sexualize them unless they go like, unless it's like a really, really specific fetish for them. Um, And so then they're like, well, how do we, then how do we market these monsters for like these female monsters? Well, I guess we'll just have them be, you know, we'll just do male werewolves. And I think it's really interesting to see like a lot of independent projects uh, take werewolves and, and have them be like a largely female cast and, and uh, seeing where it goes from there. I think uh, one, I'm going to shout out a friend of mine who we've basically bonded over our werewolf books. Uh, Kel McDonald, who did an anthology recently, uh, Can I Pet Your Werewolf? and it's And it's largely, I think it might be all female creators or largely female creators. But they're all, again, very like sweet werewolf stories that are very, that put a lot of humanity into the werewolves. I
0: definitely think you're right about, like, you know, in in any kind of fiction or fantasy that comes from men generally, like, they're unwilling to have female characters that don't turn them personally on. And therefore, yeah. in the vast majority of circumstances, the only acceptable form of monsters for women are, like, sirens or vampires and only have to be the pretty kinds that are pretty to them in their particular aesthetics. So it's definitely, <laughs> yeah. like you know, like, okay, like women are going to have hair growing out of lots of places right now. And that's part of what's happening in this. It is like a really radical yeah. feminist thing to have in a story.
1: Yeah. And um, like, just, I I can never shout out uh, Cal's work on the book enough. Cal does both the line art and the coloring work. And they do, they did such a good job with the initial designs of, of the characters because They feel like real human beings and they're, you know, they're body diverse, which was something that I was Mm -hmm. really hoping for. Um, And they don't feel like they're catering to, to a straight male audience. And I really like the fact that, and, and their werewolf forms are also very much, they're very sleek and they're not sexualized. And their personalities just come through hundred percent in a way that it, it just makes me really proud to write for the book because Cal always brings their A game and really really brings interesting touches to the characters that that highlight the parts their, the parts of their personality I'm trying to get on the on the or through the script. So well, yeah.
0: I mean, I definitely love the where adorable domestic dog. You know, this quality of it is a lot of fun, and and you definitely see like these dogs look like they were these characters are truly themselves and clearly themselves in both forms, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, the character who's just got in her werewolf powers is struggling with that more, but for the characters who've been this way their whole lives, like you can see the way they sort of change in and out um, is a very natural and fun thing. (laughs) With
1: sparkles, by the way, which was something we added in the, when Cal was coloring the first, the first issue, they were like, I think I'm going to add sparkles, and I went, you go and add sparkles,
0: we'll have sparkly
1: (laughs) werewolves, that, that works for me.
0: Yes, there's no reason for them not to be sparkly. Um, so, and so they were. Um. (laughs) With the, uh, so with the particular, like, character designs and profiles, is that something that you and the artists developed together, or how, how did you guys sort of develop the cast?
1: So I had done, besides my, I had done, out like, basic outlines for each of the chapters through my pitch, but I had also done little character profiles where I'd taken some of, the, some of the notes that they had originally given me for, like, their ideas for the characters, but I had really developed them more. And I had done. I don't think I had specifically said the body types of each of the characters, but I did. Um, I did kind of describe each of their what I what I thought for their ethnicities and their general personality. And I I believe in the my notes I just said I just really want a really diverse a really diverse body, uh, body different. What's the word I'm thinking mm-hmm. of? Like, just different body types. Uh, And when Cal came back, there were very few changes from from their uh, initial design. I think more it's just that over the course of doing the book, uh, they've slightly changed just how they've been drawing the characters themselves. But um, the only thing I think I changed was... Uh, Meg is supposed to be more of Meg the leader is supposed to be more of a pear shape and she was Meg was there for with it but I had simply added like add a little bit more of a belly have her arms like her upper arms have a little more weight to them because as someone who has who was once much more athletic and then and then gained weight and is now is now pretty pretty strictly a a pear shape myself I I really wanted to highlight the fact that 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 shape exists and that she can still be like really she can still be really appealing and like in such a beautiful character uh -hmm. and Cal was like oh that sounds great and immediately added it in um so besides that, I mean, really, I think Cal and I have been on a lot of the same page really early on in terms of the characters and what, what we're going for with it. Uh, and I, I feel really lucky that I have a, an artist who I really, I don't have to ask them to change much. Uh, in terms of really anything, and honestly, there there are lots of panels in the books where I thought, oh, that's not even how I imagined that, but that's so much better. So yes, let's go with that. That that looks great.
0: That's really cool. But like you know, when you're beginning a new series, you have a, you have like a, a core cast of characters of four different characters. Like, did you have sort of inspiration for the kind of personality types you wanted to see? I personally happen to strongly associate Felipe with uh, a certain person who you and I both know from the comics critical <sighs> community, which I have to assume is not a coincidence. So but... here's the
1: thing. It is, it's, I'm not to say it's a coincidence. This is what happened. So Felipe was brought about, like the idea of Felipe um, was brought about because a pers- the person that we both know who is uh John Eric Christensen who is delightful and he's he's one of my my favorite people in in comics criticism um but uh has talked many times about how while he likes well he's really happy to see lots of female friendship stories and even to a point like uh male friendship stories in comics like queer male friendships a lot of what he has had experienced when he was a kid and as a teenager was being like a gay guy surrounded by a lot of like strong female friendships and he had talked multiple times just about how he wanted to see more stories like that along with all the other ones it's not a it's never a I want this replaced with this. It's more of yes and also can I have this. Uh and so when I was writing this I thought, Oh, this is a good opportunity to have that that kind of dynamic. So I had written I'd written Felipe to to have the kind of relationship with the other main cast members. And he was also um the, one of the other requirements uh, that uh, Space Ghosts had given me was that they wanted one of the characters to be a were Corgi, and so I was thinking, <laughs> like, okay, let's let's have <laughs> let's have um, uh, Felipe be the were Corgi, uh, and his person like that personality is like really sweet and fun um, and kind, and so I given. And again, I kinda had John Eric in mind, even though I think uh John Eric is a little more sardonic in a good way. Because yeah. again, he's he's lovely. Um, but so I given that those character profiles to Cal, and Cal came back and suddenly I'm looking at I'm looking at some at a character that looks just like John Eric. And I went, Oh wow, this is really I told Cal, like, this is really weird. I I um like this looks just like someone who inspired the character, and Cal came back with, "Oh, this is I based Felipe off of a friend of mine from high school who is not John Eric, by the way. So there's <laughs> someone else who must look like or who must look like John Eric out in the world, but um, there's parallel but, Earth so, versions. Yeah, something like must he must have a cosmic twin or something." So I was kind of laughing at that, and so when the uh, when the character designs and I think the cover was revealed, uh, not only did John Eric notice, but then he said, "Oh my gosh, I have that outfit that he that Felipe is wearing on the first cover," and John John Eric immediately put it on and took a selfie. And so I'm like, "Oh good, you can cosplay already." So that's amazing. It is. It's. It is, um, it still makes me laugh. Um, It was a complete, it was a complete magical coincidence uh, that my character happens to look like uh, one of the, the real life people that inspired, (laughs) that inspired him. So.
0: That's so cool. Well, the characters definitely, I feel like very real, you know, relatable people for, for readers, I imagine. Or certainly for me.
1: (laughs) I hope so. I've gone. I've gone to only because it's digital. First, um, I've only really gotten to see some of the reaction from it. A lot of them from like people who are already my friends. So I I know they're I know they mean it. I know they mean it. But it's also like a, okay, but you're also saying this because you like me. Um, but uh, yeah, get actually getting to do the signing um, this weekend. There were a lot of people there that didn't know the comic that just saw that I was doing a signing and picked up the free issue but more than one person came in that were local that had read the book online and were, were saying how much he liked it. So that was, I mean, that was just really nice to get that reaction from people. So.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, you know, you, you're someone who uh, has another uh, as a story, a graphic novel, you're also working on right now that is a little, certainly an all ages or even a youth title. And, I don't know i mean like what are your thoughts about writing for for youthful audiences
1: um you know it's it's one of those things where i'm i mean as you said at the beginning when you were introducing me i i run a steven universe podcast when steven universe is on which we found <laughs> out today is it's finally coming back um, Ooh, when's it coming back uh november 10th uh through that on the cw app or not CW the C, the C N oh, app. Cartoon Network app. Yeah. Not okay. the CW app in. would be surprising.
0: I know. I was like, wow, uh, that's multi-level.
1: <laughs> but yeah, apparently they're putting it on the app first and then they're going to they're going to show it on the regular channel in December. Um which is, you know, that's fine. Um but uh so you know, I do that. I'm I'm a fan of like cartoons, I'm a fan of kids media in general. So a lot of this is stuff that I already like to watch and read. Uh so it's not too it's not too far off to to then get into the mindset of writing it. And it is very much a a lot of it is a what would I have wanted to read as a kid? So and then like what also do I want to read now?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I always tried to read stuff for adults, so my perspective of like what age range is for what is like particularly weird um, because I didn't begin. I didn't read any YA stuff till I was a grown up. I was like just just deeply deeply pretentious. So I, I guess my question for you, given my lack of insight in these areas, is um. You know, obviously, I've enjoyed the comics, and uh, but like, what kind of age range do you recommend Moonlighters for? I think it's age appropriate for all ages, but that doesn't mean that kids below a certain age would necessarily like get the jokes or relate or be interested in the college setting or you know things like that. Yeah, like, do you have,
1: of a sense of what ages you recommend for it. I feel like preteen and teen, in particular, like junior high, high school, would probably be a pretty strong, especially preteen, because I feel like this is, again, it's kind of on the cartoonish side. Uh, And, but at the same time I do, I mean, I think you're right that there there's a lot of it that even if like some of the jokes might go over younger kids' heads, it's still, it's still very much appropriate for them. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky book which I probably should figure out since I'm writing it, (laughs) but it's a tricky book to kind of peg down because the characters are in college. So like, whether or not they officially, it officially counts as a YA book because uh, I think Sue, I think I don't think this is ever said in the comic, but I think Sue's Sue's like 18 or 19 and then the rest of them are like 20 or 21. Uh, So, you know, not all of them are teenagers anymore, so does it count as YA and that sort of thing, but at the same time, it's it's one of those things also where, so when my understanding of what a lot of, like, teens and preteens like to read is about stories of characters that are a little bit older than them, so, like, them having adventures.
0: So, Mm -hmm. I feel like
1: it's I feel like really, yeah, like, the 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 range is is a pretty good age range. And then, of course, anybody who wants to read it, please read this book.
0: <laughs> Certainly. I feel like one of the possible things I would try, you know, I gave away comics for my trick-or-treaters uh, in my building. All the kids do trick-or-treating on Saturday to accommodate their parents' schedules. It's kind of hilarious. I'm confused as to why this is surprising for outsiders, apparently. But anyway, in my building, all the kids came by on Saturday. And my feeling is like, if you show a kid a comic and they look like they want to read it, then it's like, then they should just read it. Like, if it looks like it speaks to them, then they should read it. And, like, if you have to explain a couple words because the vocabulary is a little bit above their pay grade, so to speak, then you'll explain yeah. those couple words. But, like, I feel like a lot of the time, like, sort of art is what determines if a kid wants to, like, look at a story or not. Are the pictures interesting to him or her or them? You know?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, frankly, I've seen people. I've seen some people read, the, read Moonlighters and then when they are describing what happens in it, they get some of the details wrong. Like, in, in, and this is not me, like, putting down the person because they, they did a, like, I saw someone randomly do a vlog on the, on the Halloween Comic Fest uh, books that they picked up. And they were describing Moonlighters, but they said that Renee was a veterinarian. And I said, and I was like, no, and I think it's because, because there was a plot point in the first issue where she has cat treats because she volunteers at a cat shelter or at a, oh, at yeah. an animal shelter. So I think that it confused them. So my point is that, is that I'm not as worried about, about some, some of the dialogue going over kids' heads because apparently for some adults, some of the, reading the comic not not every uh dialogue piece of dialogue necessarily uh sticks so
0: well there's only I so much think, like your brain kind of fills it in to make sense like it yeah. doesn't strike me like that that somebody might have cat treats with them doesn't strike me as like anything i'd question even like yeah, yeah. some people have cat treats with them that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: think I don't the see that as a they... plot hole. I think one of the reasons why I wrote that in was because we, we wanted to establish, it was more that we wanted to establish Renee as the high achieving student she is, but we didn't have a lot of time to talk about all of her interests besides showing that she tutors uh, because she was walking home from tutoring when, uh, when her werewolf attack happens in the first issue. And so I was trying to figure out another way to kind of highlight that she does a lot of volunteering, a lot of other hobbies. And so that was I think if I'm recalling right, it was it was the chicken before the egg, not the egg before the chicken in that. <laughs> so so the cat treats came about so that I had a reason for her to describe describe like other things that she does to get her to get more of her personality. And then it just so happened that it that it helps be a plot point in the book. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I,
0: I do also feel like there's sort of a moment now. We're having, like, a cute monsters moment in a lot of the indie and, like, youth-oriented comics of the day. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I wonder, it, if, like, yeah. I think some of it's connected to, especially with, like, queer literature. I mean, I feel like the, the whole gay Babadook thing has to be part of it. Like, and and there's, of course, a, a time-honored tradition of Of people empathizing and and rooting for the monsters, whether they're like whether they're just misunderstood or whether they're seeking revenge uh but and I also feel like with with these kinds of stories there's something really fun about having the monsters be the sweethearts um, mm-hmm. and i one of the things I like about writing this series is the juxtaposition between this kind of fantasy magical world and the fact that these characters can transform into basically animals uh, and, and all the, all the like amazing creatures and, and magical folk that they meet, but they're all doing, they do like the most boring odd jobs (laughs) and really like, for me, that's, that's the fun part was, was kind of balancing like these really interesting designs that Cal has, but also having like my characters sweeping leaves, or or um, in the next issue, in issue four, they're cleaning uh, stables and doing uh, or like dog washing. So it's it's kind of fun to have to have these kind of zany adventures, but them having to do kind of boring jobs that you, that any normal person would have to do as well.
0: I associated cleaning the stables immediately with the, Herclean, with the Herculean task of cleaning the Nemean stables from <laughs> Hercules' trials.
1: Yeah, that was a hundred percent. When I was, I was trying to brainstorm when I was coming up with each of the issues, because I really wanted to have a good, a good uh, baseline when I was sending in, my my for it. I sent in exactly the the different things that they would have to do in each in each um uh issue. And that was really me trying to do a different flavor of monster um, and trying to just do my best to kind of to kind of balance out, okay, in this one, like in issue three, they deal with uh a mother daughter medusa uh and and their dog which just happens to be uh also themed after greek stuff uh and before that they were they were raking for gnomes uh for this like cute gnome couple mm-hmm. uh, and so and so for issue 4 i was just thinking what other magical creatures could they could they interact with and yeah it was absolutely the herculean task of of cleaning the stable, which is like one of the more boring of the Herculean tasks, which I thought was kind of again a, a fun yeah. way of of pulling in like of pulling in interesting illusions, but also still having it be very much them them doing the odd jobs that actual college students might have to pick up in their in their free time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's very relatable that way, but um, I definitely saw that referenced immediately. (laughs) Immediately. Um, You know, had you been in the practice of writing much fiction before you began working on this project? Uh,
1: So I'd already completely finished Cardboard Kingdom by the time this started. So I did, I had that set up before, Uh, before that, um, I had done uh, fan fiction and also like fiction in college because I was a creative writing major, so I'd so I had a background in, in writing stories. But it really honestly wasn't until I got an into into like Tumblr. The same time I got around into comics was the same time that I was actually kind of dabbing dabbling in uh, in fan fiction. Uh, simply just because I I was feeling kind of creatively in a slump and I wanted and I just wanted to practice and I was in inter- like the characters that I was interested in writing about I just wanted to do some writing for them uh, and then that kind of I got so busy with reviewing stuff that I didn't get to I didn't really get to write fiction then anymore and then yep it I know that was. Point. Yeah, I know, right? But actually, like, even that it was
0: writing fiction beforehand, but I definitely can't. I can't imagine writing fiction on top of writing critical work. It's like it.
1: Yeah. It was about like when when Comics Alliance was still a thing. It was definitely um, a, a careful balance, um, but it was it was always a, a little a little leaning towards stressful, <laughs> a little mm-hmm. too stressful. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, and then the, the interest, it's been two and a half years now since since uh, I found out that uh, my eventual collaborator, Chad Sell, was looking for multiple people to write this graphic novel with him. And it was going to be a kid's graphic novel. And he just wanted, and it was, he said, like, it doesn't matter if you've never published before. I just want to, I want to see what stories people want to tell about this, with this concept I'm doing and i think it only took me maybe like 20 minutes for me to come up with with a concept i immediately sent it in and i thought well i really hope i really hope that it was strong enough because i like it was a very quick thought process for me and he liked it enough to talk to me on the like he called me on the phone and was like look i think that it's really interesting it's definitely one that i'm that is in the running can we flesh it out a little more and see where it goes with it Uh, and then by the time the phone call ended, similarly to Moonlighters, actually, I ended the phone call. I went up to my partner and I said, I'm going to be really, really upset if I don't get this thing now, because I'm very excited to work on it. And then I think a few weeks later, he had officially, he had officially sent out the email saying, Hey, I I want you on this project. Uh, and it was, uh, him, me, and nine other people who essentially created this this full story, this full graphic novel about uh, kids in their community uh, during the su- or in their neighborhoods during the summer, uh, playing and having adventures and using their imagination. Uh, and that's the card. I don't know if I if I, if I in- during the story mentioned that this is the cardboard kingdom, which is my graphic oh, novel yes, coming out next year. Let's mention that. Yeah
0: cardboard kingdom which folks can begin to put in orders for which is being you got like a big publisher on that book too
1: yeah uh knoff so knoff uh Knopf books for young readers i think is the official imprint for it um it's yeah it's big we were i i had some small panic attacks when when uh we got the word out that they were they were interested in buying it um yeah, it's been, like I said, by the time it gets printed next June, it's going to be June 5th. Uh, it will have been three years of us, more, more or less three years of us doing this book together. Uh, but it's been done, my part of it's been done for for well over a year and a Well, really, even like almost two years now. Um, even though we, the interesting about it is that we all sent in our scripts, we revised the scripts like uh, Chad was is technically a co-writer on all of them because he because he helped each of us come up with a concept for each of our chapters um, but then we all we all have been working together we've had a kind of private Facebook group where we've all worked together we've all edited each other's chapters we've all contributed to to extra chapters that kind of filled in uh filled in parts of the story that that we felt like needed a little extra a little bit extra after all of our chapters for our particular characters were done. Um I'm hoping I'm explaining this well because I, mm-hmm. I realize I yeah. need to start getting, I need to start getting really good at explain explain this uh, this project because <laughs> so that I can get people to buy the book. Um it's been yeah it was it was a hundred percent a really fluid collaboration where everybody seemed to be on the same page, and we were all really supportive of each other, and we all knew what tones we wanted to create. And a lot of this was Chad, too, because Chad really set, set a good leadership tone and, and kept the group organized. Um, and it feel I've been describing it as a small miracle <laughs> that it all, that we all got the right people. On, in the right parts of the book at the right time um, and not enough can be said also for, uh, for our editors at Knopf, they gave us, once we had sent in the, uh, the book it was largely done and only partially colored at that point, I think Chad was still in the middle of working on colors when, when we had originally pitched it um, but they had sent, come back with uh, several like good edits which is always such a blessing when when editors know what you're going for and get the get the project and then just want to make the book better. Uh, I by the time we had officially sent in the like final final pdf of of the book after all the edits and re-edits and then the proofreading because
0: they needed every
1: all the grammar to be like really precise but after everything was said and done and i've read through it again um it's the strongest the book's ever been and it's it's just been a really exciting uh like story creating process for me i i feel like I've, i mean i i say i feel like i've talked about the book for years but i literally have <laughs> <laughs> and um i'm i'm even though it's still it's still i think about a half a year away i'm I'm just so happy that we're getting very close to it being out in the world. So I'm getting very, like, I'm starting to get very um, excited about getting to talk about it more.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that cover, when you released it, it was really like a clearly like a fun and inclusive and creative concept and cover that uh, was coming on a week where we just heard a couple of people from youth publishing try to defend having non-diverse. It,
1: it was the cast. same day. It was the like, same day. The exact day. same day. And I was laughing because I was like, meanwhile, over on my Twitter, <laughs> here's this book that I made that's like, and the funny thing is, is that um, we have such a large cast that we couldn't get all of the kids on the, on the front of the book. The rest of them, they're going to be on the back, and it's, I've seen the back cover. It's really adorable. Um, I was like, hey, don't you think we can, like, cram a few more kids in there? And I think it was more knock going, we really, this is the exact amount of kids on the front of the book that will sell the most. I'm like, okay, hmm. you, guys know, you guys know covers. You need, like, they were very specific about, about um, the color of, the sky and like, and the, and adjusting the logo from what we had originally done. I'm like, if that, if that helps get the book into more kids' hands, you know, helps get more eyes on it, then that's, that's fine by me. But like, if you thought that the, that the kids, that the characters that got on the front cover feel like really inclusive and like, and diverse, the entire cast is so much, more, and I'm, I'm just super excited for everybody to get to meet these characters, not just my own, but, like, that's the thing. It's, it's one of those projects where there were so many, there's so many collaborators that had their own thing going that, that we kind of all came together, so I feel really good about being able to sing praises for the book because it's not just mine. And I can, mm-hmm. I can point to everybody else's like work on it and how genius it was. And then I'm like, and also I was there and I think mine's pretty good too, but also have you checked out that, that character or this character? So. Yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Well, we're coming up on an hour, uh, which is usually about when we wrap. Um, do you want to make sure folks know how they can read your comics and order the upcoming graphic novel?
1: Sure, uh, you can get uh, you can get a uh, cardboard kingdom really anywhere where you where you can usually pre-order books. I know that Amazon and Barnes and Noble have uh, right now some pretty good deals on pre-orders for the book, but if you want to. By all means, if you want to go to your independent local bookstore and order it, you should be able to. Uh, it's like I said, it's called the Cardboard Kingdom, and it's being uh, it's being made by Kanoff. And uh, besides that, uh, Moonlighters right now is digital first, uh, so that is going to be on Am- that's on Amazon Comixology. We are going to do a print uh, run for the full volume, basically once we finish it. I am I am working on edits on the sixth script as, this week, actually. So I um, think Cal's working on on actually the art on issue five right now. So it's slowly coming together. Uh, we're we're thinking early next uh, early next year we should be. Uh, getting the print volume squared away. but in the meantime, you can get it digitally. Uh, and yeah, and then issue four comes out uh, comes out on November first, which I think is is I don't know. is that the day that' we're, that the podcast is releasing, or is that gonna be tomorrow?
0: The podcast is live, and then it'll also be uh, downloadable. I usually say this at the end of the podcast, but I'll say it now oh. the time. So uh, this podcast is listenable live. If you perhaps came in late to it and want to listen to it from the beginning, it'll all be up on our website at blog talk radio's website in another couple hours. We will be on iTunes in another couple hours and we'll be on SoundCloud and Stitcher probably around tomorrow. So you can listen to the show from the beginning then at graphic policy on uh, any of those platforms for podcasts.
1: I'm glad I was able to help you (laughs) transition to that part. Very
0: easy transition.
1: But, yeah, um, I, like I said, Issue 4 is basically my favorite uh, of, of all the issues for this arc. So I'm, I'm very excited for it to finally be out in the world, and I hope everybody enjoys it.
0: Fabulous. And where can folks find you on the Internet in general?
1: Largely, I, I tend to be on Twitter too much, and you can, uh, you can find me mm-hmm. there at, at Just Plain Tweets. Uh, besides that, you can usually uh, find out about my stuff on uh, katieshankle.com, which I tend to try to keep that up to date. I do have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash justplainsomething. And then uh, I have a couple podcasts I'm on right now. Uh, like I said, uh, Steven Universe is coming back, so I'll be doing uh, Crystal Claude's, uh with Elle Collins through her Intuit podcast feed and then i am also I also run a supergirl podcast with Chris Haley on the Keep it Close to Me podcast feed that he uh, has and um, yeah, so far, I think those are all my all my main projects at the moment. It's really hard to keep track of them most of the time
0: well, I'm always here to check it out and happy to keep on tabs with it so thank you for joining us and I'm sure we'll have you back on the show sometime soon to you talk about other art or perhaps uh, some give talk between ourselves about what we think about young justice season three perhaps when that comes to pass or something along those lines
1: i would so. i'd love to I'd love to come back thanks for having me this time
0: oh, absolutely thanks Katie and for our listeners um next week we don't have somebody sit yet for Monday. Oh, my goodness. Or do we? No, Monday, we do not. Uh, I know in the upcoming weeks, we'll be having a special guest on to talk with us about the history of Marvel Comics. And we have our Star Trek Discovery episode coming up during the season break. i um, sure that'll be taping in mid-November. But we will be back with you guys on Monday with more. Um, so signing off, this is Ilana. You can find me on Twitter all the damn time, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn on Twitter. And uh, we're always here at graphicpolicy.com, on graphic policy at Twitter, graphicpolicy Facebook. We like to keep it nice and simple, and you can sign up for our email newsletter, find out when all of our new articles can come up, when our new posts come up, and our uh, YouTube shows and everything else that we bring to you in graphic policy land. So until next week, Keep it geeky, and don't forget to vote on Tuesday, November 7th. If you live in most places in America, you probably have an election. See you then.